Uh, I want to take the second real quick as everyone's grabbing their seat just to say I don't think we've made it clear enough. Um, We post the service notes every week. Um, So if you want to follow along with the little worship reading as well as uh, any of the teaching texts and teaching points and all that, you can always find that in advance and kind of follow along. We post it in two different places. Um, On the app, if you open up the Soundhouse Church app, there's a little refresh button. They'll pop at the bottom, press that. And it'll be right at the top, say, it'll say 124 notes. Well, that'll be each morning. Um, and then also, if you are on the Soundhouse newsletter, you get it? Taylor says yes, yes, yes. You, get the, you can find a link through the newsletter that gets emailed out on Sunday mornings as well. So if you, if you do open that, you'll see that uh, we're going to be reading um, a passage today for our, our worship um, but real quick, uh, just, just some quick announcements. If you were missed, it, if you missed it last week, we talked about um, that dirt. The men's riding trip has been uh, canceled by Hume, and so we're just kind of doing our own smaller thing. Uh, we're just going to be going to Johnson Valley. It's just a two and a half hour drive. Um, just, just our church. Um, bring your own uh, lodging, your own tent, your own toys, and your own food. Uh, but we'll all just kind of. Um, head out there. You can sign up for that on the church website or app. It's free. You're bringing all your own stuff. Um, but just that way we know who to be looking for. We send out directions for where we're going to be, all that. But it's, it's a good time, and uh, we'll be having fun out there. And then uh, second of all is we've talked about uh, establishing kind of what we're calling our compassion ministries, um, and we've got three. Um, we have Food Finders, which is a food bank and food distribution uh, organization in La Salle. Uh, and that is going to be looking for four volunteers every Thursday, 9 to noon. It's a great thing to do as a household or as a group of friends. Uh, but, yeah, it's Thursdays, 9 to noon, starting on the first Thursday in February. Um, and uh, the next one is going to be New Life Beginnings. We're going to have scattered projects there just with small groups. I'm looking to see if maybe we can do some landscaping because that will be a bigger group since we'll be able to be outside. But if not that, there will be small jobs. And then the last one is Rancho La Hermosa, which is an orphanage in Mexico. We actually, just four of us went down this past Wednesday and finished up the, the playhouse we were building for the girls there. And it looks great. We uh, painted and, and put shingles on. And I've never put shingles on with 50 mile an hour gusts. But that was something else, being on a roof with that. Anytime uh, Jarrett took his hand off a shingle, it would just come up and smack us. So it's not, not the best, but uh, it looks great now, and the kids are so excited about it. Uh, we were trying to keep them out as we were finishing working, but um, a really great thing to be a part of. And, uh, and if you want to be a part of any of those teams going forward, the best way to do it, and the way we're doing it during COVID, because we can't have big groups, is we're just taking signups to be on the team. Once you're a part of that team, you'll get access to a Google Doc in which you'll see upcoming uh, trips and upcoming projects, and you can choose to sign up for whichever one of those you want. So if you just sign up for Food Finders team, you'll see all the available Thursday mornings, and you can go put your name on one of the four slots for one of those Thursday mornings. Um, so consider that. Just sign up for the teams uh, through our website or app, and then uh, I'll get in touch with you that week. Uh, let's jump into worship for today and then into the message. So uh, the reading is in the New Living Translation, and it's Psalms 107, 1 through 9. It reads, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. For he has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west and north and south. Some wandered into the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let the praise of the, the let them praise the Lord for His great love, 
and for the wonderful things he has done for them. He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Here's why I love this passage as an expression of worship for us today, is I love the fact that it says, praise the Lord from your testimony, from your experience of his goodness, your experience of his love. And, and I think that's what's so interesting about worship is all of our songs would be so different, Right? All of our reasons for coming to faith, all of our reasons for knowing God's goodness and his love personally would be so different than the person sitting next to you. So I love what that says there. Tell others that he has redeemed you. Um, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. So today, just as our act of, of worship, uh, I'm going to pray, and I just want us to reflect on, on what is your personal song? What is your personal song of, of God's goodness in your life? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are great, and you are big, and you are everywhere, but you're also personal, and you're also small, and you're, you're in our, our lives. So Lord, today I pray that we just uh, reflect as an act of worship in what our song would be. Lord, let us sing in ourselves a song of how you have redeemed us. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as the church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. How are you? I feel like the neighborhood hears me. <laughs> I do talk loud, so. Um, hey, I want to welcome you to Soundhouse Church. Some of you, uh, maybe your first time here. Some of you have been here a long time, and so we're just really happy you're here. We're really happy that uh, you're able to be a part of what we're doing right now, which is this study of the book of Ephesians. And uh, if just a reminder, if you have not uh, jumped into a community group, you, you can still do that. You can jump in, um, and they're right now uh, online or virtual. Uh, a few have met in person. But uh, they're very easy to sign up for. Go to our website, go to our app, and you can sign up and jump in just to kind of continue uh, the study. And if you want to kind of just be a part of church community in just connecting, I, I just know that from our group, like uh, a few of my group members are here. And uh, it, 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 you know, we just forget how important it is and how much we love doing that, right? I mean, I felt that way after our first group of man, I really miss this. Like, why aren't we doing this all the time? And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, just just the part of community is, it's such a big part of our faith. And so um, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. I want to pray with a very specific direction. Um, this direction is like, God, like, show me what I haven't seen in this passage. Like, that, that's going to be just our focus as a community because God wants to speak something to us through this passage. And a lot of times when we can read passages like this, we might just read it, glance right over it, and just go, okay, those are really good, uh, great Christian words. I've heard them before. But there's so much here, and it will take the work of the Holy Spirit to really open your heart up and open your eyes up to see what he's trying to say. So let's pray. God, we, we love you. We thank you. God, thank you for uh, your, your servant, Paul, who wrote this letter and God, through the words written so long ago, uh, God, I ask that the same theological truths, the same impact uh, impacts us today as he intended for the readers in that time. 
God, I thank you for the truths that are here. It, it highlights your character. It highlights who you are. It builds our confidence in who you are and our faith in you. So God, just let not one of us leave the same way we came here this morning in our understanding, our appreciation, our love, and our faith in you, God. Let it, let it not be the same, but grow. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we're in this series. This is week two of our teaching um, on this series. This is an 11-week study. So we're gonna, we, we're, what we're doing is we're taking our time. We're going to slow down, and we're just going to really go through the book of Ephesians. And I, I think we're going to feel this way. I'll, I'll just tell you how you're probably going to feel. At moments, you're going to feel like, this feels a little bit like a class. Yeah, you will feel that a little bit because we're going real deep. But then in other ways, you're going to feel, I think, God saying very practical things that, will, that, that you may have been dealing with or struggling with or mindsets that you're going to also engage in that way as well. So I got a lot to talk about. And um, if you have our app, you can get those notes. I do recommend that because I'm going to go somewhat fast. Uh, but also, if you're taking notes, um, we are studying the, the passage of uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, starting in 15, and we're just going to go through verse 23. But I'm going to take my time and just go through each one, and we're going to kind of establish uh, and build off of each passage as we go by. If you want to think of this sermon in any way, you're going to just think of this as like a, a, a pre-game talk for the rest of the book. The book of Ephesians, most people believe, and most scholars believe that the book of Ephesians was in a way written by Paul or maybe in a way through Paul, but written as almost you could take it as an introductory to all of the writings of the apostles. It is just an establishing foundational like uh, manual to get started in the life of in, in faith and action that God's called us into. It is a foundational book. And this passage that we're going to teach today and talk about today is foundational in a way for the, the rest of the book of Ephesians. So <clears throat> this is kind of what Paul, you're going to get this feeling of what he's communicating here. And I hope it does what he intended. You're going to get the idea of like, confidence. Paul is trying to build confidence into these believers. He is trying to establish confidence in Christ, confidence in God, and it's almost like a pre-game type of talk, right? It's the coach telling you to put your trust and faith in something bigger than what you might be seeing with your eyes. I've been watching this series. I absolutely love it. It's on Amazon. It's called All or Nothing. I started with uh, the uh, Michigan football team, I had to watch it, and then I just started watching all the other stories that they're documenting. I can never watch a sports documentary again because they put the cameras in the locker rooms and at their homes and all the behind-scenes stuff. It's like, I know too much. I've, I've had better. I can never watch just a blanket documentary on sports again. And what it does, it, it, it's been so fascinating for me because in, in correlation to what Paul's doing here is it gives me an insight into what they're really, what's really going on in the minds of these players. And if you've ever watched a game and you've watched your favorite player get into a slump, you're just like blown away because you're like, 
you make these shots all the time. Have you ever been there? You catch those all the time. Like, you score those goals. You don't miss those shots. And I think what it ultimately does is we're confused by it, but we don't realize that there is a confidence game going inside of that player's head happening. And I was watching this one episode of the Carolina Panthers, and there was a player who is, can catch anything, but his confidence was shaken. And here's a guy who has proven at a high level that anything that comes his way, he can catch it. But his, his overall confidence was shaken so badly through some circumstances that it was wild to watch. Like one entire game, he couldn't catch one ball like dropped every ball, and everyone's freaking out, everyone's going nuts, but his loss of confidence is what threw him. The skill was there, the established patterns were there, uh, the, the history was there, the truth was there, but his confidence in that truth was shaken. And I think this is what Paul is trying to establish to believers. You're going to go through life, and your confidence is going to be challenged. And if you understand these things and really have a revelation, you're going to hear this word in this passage, it will secure your confidence when all you're going to want to do spiritually is going to be drop, dropping uh, passes. All you're going to want to do is be missing the shots. It, it's going to feel like that's all. You're going to be nervous about that. But, God, but Paul is saying, listen, there's a confidence here that can guide you through any storm. There's a confidence here that's going to, like, ultimately, if you realize it, is going to steady any situation in your life because of the confidence. And when you read Paul and you hear him say impossible statements like, oh, I find great joy in my suffering, you're like, I don't understand. Or he's experiencing tremendous joy in, in all of life's difficulties. Or even says statements like, man, I, I would want to go right now and be with God, but I feel like I've got to be here. There's confidence there. And so we're getting it really from the ultimate coach, I think. And that's what this passage is. It's Jesus. So I titled this message, A Prayer for Every Believer. And this is what this passage is. It's a prayer, but it's a, it's a, it's a theologically deep, rich prayer to build confidence. And, all, and my subtitle is this, Confidence, Confidence, Confidence. That's just all this is about. We're building our trust in God. And you will need it. My faith has been challenged so many times that if it weren't for my confidence and my faith and trust in God, that I have, I have chose to, 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 to allow God to show me that. I've chose to lean into it. It, it, it. I would have been in a real bad place in a lot of ways, and we all can relate to that. It's our confidence that God has it. It's our confidence that God is going to see it through, right? You're going to have life difficulties, challenges, even in our growth. When God is saying, it's time to stop that childish behavior, that behavior that is holding you back from what I know is best for you, and not only that, what the world needs from you. It no longer needs this mentality. It needs a kingdom mentality. That challenge itself has to be, to, to weather that growth is to be rooted in confidence that what God's doing is good and what he's doing is right, and you got to trust him sometimes over what you feel. I, I, I don't respect this person to quote him in a sermon, but 
his mentality was interesting. And the great heavyweight fighter, Mike Tyson, he said every time he went into a fight, he said, I had supreme confidence. And that's Mike Tyson having confidence in himself. And God's not calling us for that. He's actually calling us to quite the opposite. He's saying, I want you to have supreme confidence in me, in who I am, in the character of who God is. And so let's, re- let's read it. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians 1, 15. I'll just get right into it. It's, Paul says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus and their love towards all the saints. Now, this is a good greeting, and it says something. Now, Paul, Paul's been to Ephesus. He's been to this church that we think maybe it's just being written to for years. He knows these people. But what's cool about what Paul is saying is, and why he's opening this way, is there's obviously new believers. And most people believe that there were multiple locations springing up all over, multiple churches all over this region. And Paul is writing to a region of new churches and new believers, but he calls them believers, which means he's heard about their faith. And listen to what he says, and it's important for all of us to know this as believers. I heard of your faith in the Lord and your love towards the saints. What he's identifying is this. I heard of your vertical relationship with God, and what confirms it is your horizontal relationship with others. And I always say this. If you want to know, Jesus says, if you want to know if someone loves me, watch how they love other people. And so your vertical relationship I've heard about, and I've heard about your horizontal relationship with others, that confirms that there's a faith there. So these people are maybe new to the faith, and they need to know a valuable insight that Paul has. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, meaning he is always in gratitude for this. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and, and here's where we're going to get into a little bit. May, he may give you the spirit of wisdom. In my notes, you're going to see that I put in there another translation, and maybe more close to what it was intended would be to give you a spirit of insight. And this isn't an insight in a way that you can gain on your own. This isn't an insight, a perspective that you grabbed for yourself that he may give you a, a spirit of wisdom or insight into something big. And he goes on to say, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, meaning an, a revelation typically is going to be an unveiling. And you know what's interesting about this? I think sometimes people think of revelations as like something that was never known, but now it's like, it's like, oh, this new thing we've discovered is a revelation of something. But what he means here in an unveiling is something that's always been there, but you couldn't see it. Something that's more fact than fact, more true than true, but it's been veiled. And every believer comes to these places and this unveiling happens This revelation happens for every believer individually. And he's saying that there was something here the whole time that you haven't seen. But I pray that God unveils it to you. Now, this has a lot to do with what he's going to say here about relationship with God and the process. So he says the spirit of wisdom that he gives it to you and and he prays 
that you have revelation in the knowledge of Him. And there's a relationship process that is happening that Paul's talking about. That these truths, these unveilings come through knowing Him more and God unveils these things that we, we need for our confidence in Him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. And this basically is a common phrase in the Bible, but having the eyes of your heart is basically this, the, the, the very sight and perspective of your heart, your moral, uh, uh, your moral, ultimately emotional, your rational seat of your heart, the center of who you are, that that be open so that God's going to God, he wants God to give you a spirit of wisdom, of insight, a revelation of things that you have not seen but have been there the whole time, and ultimately that the very core of you it sees it and experiences it, and it directs your life. Now, I know that was a lot, but ultimately you have to realize this is something you can't strive for, you can't do, you can't you can't do it in your own power. All of that, what I just mentioned, is something that only God can do. But what we can do is continually seek out God relationally and in our heart. What we can do is, yes, continually read the Word, continually do and follow His actions and the leading of the Holy Spirit, but these things come through an intimacy of knowing God more closely in Him and understanding who He is is. But we can't do it. It's, it's a veiled drop that has to happen on God's own hand. He has to do that for us. I don't know when that happens for every believer, but it's for every believer. And it's been there the entire time. This is God's doing. We cannot achieve this. And I think in a way to these people, very much like I think when, when some people hear like, salvation through Christ for the first time, I, I never get weirded out that someone's like, you're weird, what you believe is weird, and it's just all strange to me. I, I'm just like, yeah, I, I can see why it's strange. I'm talking about having a relationship with a God that I physically, in his body, who his entity, where I cannot see him, but I feel like I know him. And I'm following this Jesus that I haven't seen physically, but I'm following my faith in this Jesus. So I get it. It's very strange. And so this relationship dynamic, this trust-faith relationship dynamic for these people might be odd because they had a one-way relationship with their pagan gods. It was, we know all about how to please these gods, and we do those things, and, and, and we're just good stewards of that, and we don't have an interaction with this God in a way. There's not a relationship. And so this is new. But the way to where Paul is leading them is an invitation to knowing God more, knowing him more. And if you feel like, man, I haven't prayed in a while. I haven't really sought to be in an intimate connection with God, meaning in, if it's in a, just a stillness and meditation with God, if it's meditating on Scripture, if it's seeking out and speaking to God to know him more, I encourage you to do that. I mean, the very best thing that you know this relationally, and so for anybody who's single, I'll just give you my pre-marriage advice, right? It is 
to talk to each other, to hear and to speak and to, and to, and to understand and acknowledge. Like, we would never encourage anyone to enter a relationship without that base piece of communication and connection because it builds intimacy in a greater level. I mean, I'm imploring all of us to, to pursue God in that same mentality of like, I need to know you more, God, and I want to know you more. I am fully known by you, God, but I want to know you more. We would do that. Right, so they only know one way of connecting, but this two-way communication, this two-way intimacy, this connection of how we know God more, which begins to lift these veils that build our confidence, it becomes a two-way connection. And if you maybe have felt like I have a one-way connection with God, I talk to Him and I don't hear anything back, you're, you're just not right about that. You may not feel it in the way that you are hoping to feel it, but God fully knows you and is fully aware of you, and is very connected with you. And if you ever feel far from God, the, the, the fact is, is that he has gone nowhere, and we maybe have. And it's about reconnecting and connecting with God in an intimate relationship, right? I think this is true. Like, it, it, it's, it's the movement I want to encourage every Christian, and I will always try to do it in a one-on-one conversation. I'll do it here, that we we. we want to shift our mindset because typically how we'll see God is like a, a, a fan to an, a celebrity or a, a, an athlete. And I, I would love to shift that mentality from fan observing from a distance of this athlete or this fame, famous person to even maybe closer to like I, I know them. They know my name when they walk by in the, in the hallways and they say my name and I'm just the security guy, but they kind of know me too. Further, which is we have this deep connection. They call me after the game and if they've lost and I'm there to encourage them and they're there for me and there's this relational connection. And I think a lot of Christians want to play the fan part of where we just observe from a distance. But, but Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Like this isn't a fan faith. This is a deep relational connection faith, and we don't need to observe like that. God's invited us into something closer and more connected. Um, Galatians 4 9 says this, but we know that you have come to know God, right? Or rather be known by God. And so with this relational connection, then, then he also writes, how can you turn back? Again, to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world who enslaved you. Um, and, and, and why would you want to be enslaved once more? So what he's ultimately saying is you, you know God and are known by God. Why in this relationship would you want to go back to that? It's like, it's like a guy who gets married and is like, all of a sudden he wants to be a bachelor again. It's like, but you know what's happening here. Why are you going to the bachelor life? You know something better and greater. So Paul is saying this to them. is You're in a two-way intimate relationship. You're in a close connection with God. You have a relationship with God. And that informs the way you live. And why would we turn back and go back? So that's what he's ultimately stating that. So the first thing here with this piece of this prayer is that Paul's prayer is ultimately for greater relational insight. 
It's what it, bottom line is that first part, greater relational insight, a relationship with God that brings our thoughts, brings our behavior, brings our actions into change. Man, I, I think this is true. The greater relational understanding, the bigger shift that we will make in our life, the more changes we will make in our life. I remember when I was first interested in Anna, it was, she was in eighth grade, I was in ninth grade, and I didn't know if she liked me because she was by far way out of my league, and I was trying all these like tricks and techniques to see if she was interested, but the moment I realized she was interested, everything changed. I started behaving differently. I stopped being so crazy and ridiculous. I wanted to be seen differently by her. I like put on deodorant more. Like, you know what I mean? Like showered regularly. Like it was just, you know what I'm talking about? Amen, right? It, it literally shifts the way you behave when the relationship gets a little bit more clear, a little bit more defined. And you see that, oh wait, there's something here. You, you changed, right? Everything shifts the moment you are pretty confident in the relationship that you're going to pop the question and ask your spouse to marry you. I'm just speaking from a guy's perspective. You change. Things change. What kind of husband am I going to be? How am I going to, what kind of dad am I going to be? What, what, what kind of relationship are we going to have? Are we going to be happy? Are we going to grow old of each other and tired? Like what, you start to change. You start to shift your behaviors. You start to ask I get this advice all the time. I'm thinking about asking this question. What are some things I should do? And I'm like, well, you got you to gotta be the very best version of yourself that you can give. So what, what do you want to work on? It, we have a relationship. We know the potential of the relationship. And Paul is saying, you have this relationship and you should see its potential. And it might just inform the way you behave and think and act. Because... Paul is letting them know if you have this relationship, you're confident in this relationship, you'll change. Things will change and shift and it's your confidence that will sustain you in it. It's the confidence, it's the vision of the relationship that will call you into difficult things. And so I'll say this is that our prayer, if you want to pray, a good prayer is Paul's prayer. God, I pray for insight and I pray for an unveiling of spiritual truths that will build my confidence. And only you can do it, God, so I'm counting on you. But I want to see the truth of your reality, and I want you to unveil these truths. We're going to talk about it in a second. Paul prays for three things to be unveiled, and it's important that we seek these same things to be unveiled in our life that build our confidence. But I would say this in the second part. It's in your notes as well. Paul prays these three unveiling, to, to unveil three things to believers. And this is thing... If you're a believer, these are essential to seek and ask God to reveal and bring revelation to. They are essential to our faith, and they are essential to our confidence in our Christian faith. And he deals with three things that are really important. One, he's going to deal with the past. The second one that he's praying that God reveals, it's going to deal with the uh, future. And the other one is going to deal with the present. And so, as I go through, I'll, I'll remind you of the past, future, and present. And why they're important is because they completely encompass our life. And why they're important to be unveiled is they build confidence around our entire life, past, future, and present. So here we go. The first one that 
the first un- thing that God, Paul asked to be unveiled to his, 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 uh, the believers is this, is an unshakable confidence in God's summoning to salvation. You know, um, I, 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 I can say with true conviction, like, I, I don't question my salvation. I don't question it. I don't, I believe it's sealed. I believe it's done. I believe it is secure. I believe that as much as a knucklehead as I can be sometimes or distracted, it's secure. I don't want to take that for granted, but I believe it's secure. I believe that God's power to hold it is greater than my ability to hold it. I, I would say that I, it's taken me a while to really fully believe that because of how I feel. And my feelings would jump out ahead and then my faith would take a back seat or my trust and security would take a back seat. My feelings would rule. But God is saying we're going to have to put, have confidence beyond whatever you may feel, whatever you may be experiencing, however you feel about yourself. This has ultimately nothing to do with your power. It has to do with his. And this is why you can be confident in it. And so he says this in verse 18, Mid, middle of the way through 18, he says this, that you, this is one of his prayers that, he want, that he's praying for unveiling, that you may know what is the hope which, has, uh, which he has called you. The hope, meaning this, the certainty of which he's called you or he's invited and summoned you to. This salvation he's brought you into, there's hope and certainty in that. So he prays that, this veil that might sometimes be hard to see through of this reality, this truth, that it dropped. And you actually see the reality of your salvation. So many times I've had people say, I'm not sure I'm a Christian anymore. And I ask why, and it would be because, well, I made this mistake. And I'm, I'm just like, God, show them the reality of salvation. It's way beyond their power. But hopefully there's a, a confidence in that salvation, which calls them to a different action. But ultimately, Paul is saying this, like he's praying for an unveiling of the unshakable confidence that God summoned to us in salvation, meaning the past. He's done it. It's work on the cross is finished. Your salvation is secure. Like his purchase for you is done through the cross, finished. Almost like a no, no, a non-starter for God. Like it's, we're not, we don't even need to talk about it, but we do need to see it. I love this. First, uh, Titus 1, 2 says this. This is how it describes eternal salvation. In hope of eternal salvation, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began that we have this hope in eternal salvation of God, who never lies, of which he promised. And so there's a confidence and a security that we have to root into who, who God is, is, what he says about himself is true. And what he's done for you is true. It's secure and there is no power that can break that. You cannot undo the work of the cross. God's done it. It's secure. The second veil that I think Paul is really praying that drops for new believers or believers is to see the um, inheritances, you know, our wealth in heaven and ultimately his inheritance in the saints. And this is our future, future promise, future uh, uh, confidence that we can have. So we've seen the past. 
seeing the future, insecurity, and confidence, and it's ultimately about inheritance. I think inheritance is really interesting because when I think about inheritance, I'm like, what am I inheriting? You know, we always make a joke when somebody does something nice. I'm like, okay, great. You've got uh, another ruby in heaven. I don't know what to say. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know exactly what it looks like. It's not exactly clear about what that means. But what Paul does define here a little bit is there is a inheritance. And that inheritance, no matter what, is heaven. It's eternal life. It's salvation. And it is ultimately in eternal presence with God, which is greater than any ruby in heaven. I don't know. But I'll say this, is that when he speaks of inheritance, it is a gift that should not be just cast aside as something little. It is a huge gift. I don't know if you've ever gotten a surprise inheritance, but it is shocking when it happens. And it's it, what you feel from it is interesting because you think, well, how, how did they even think of me? What, why are we getting that? We did nothing for this. It's a gift and it should be cherished and treasured. But in this passage, we're also going to see that God has an inheritance too that Christ took care of on the cross. God has an inheritance. And so here we go. Let's read it. Verse 18, uh, the last part of 18. What are also this veil to be dropped? What are the riches or the wealth ultimately of his glorious inheritance? And I don't know if we can define wealth in, the way, in a way here. I think wealth is a better word than riches here. The wealth of the glory of God's inheritance. And then here's what it is. Of his inheritance in the saints. I always thought that was weird because I thought, okay, how does God have an inheritance? But, but it's very clear. God's inheritance, if you will, is the saints. His family, his children coming to know him. This is an inheritance. It's his, but we also inherit him. You know, the, the parable of... Uh, the lost son in, in Luke 15. I've always related to it very well. I felt very lost in my life. Um, but it really speaks the story well of this inheritance and God's desire for his and his family. And it's this beautiful story. It's worth reading. It's Luke 15. And it's about this father's heart towards a lost son. And what happens when the son rejoins the home and how the son sees himself in the household is, is very low and shameful and undeserving. And how the father elevates him is very high as a son, not as a stranger. And so when we look at God's inheritance, it's his saints, his children. And he elevates them to his child status, his, the inheritance we receive like that prodigal son coming home. And so we have to see it as big as God means to say it. The parable, I think it moves us, but it's clearly the heart of God. And so this is the third, the second unveiling Paul's praying that we get is, I pray that you see how valuable you are to God. And I pray that you see that you are his child and what that means for you and for God. And this third unveiling really quick is this in his prayer 
It's to see the true power, what it is and what it can do. And that's our present prayer that we can have confidence in of this unveiling. It builds confidence in our present. So we have our past, our salvation. We have our future, which is our inheritance, secure. And then we have our present, which is the working power of God right now with us now. Verse 19, it says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Okay, so the immeasurable greatness of his power, it's, you could look at it a lot of different ways, but you can see it as it's, it's surpassing. It's, it's well beyond what we would think. So it's an, almost not an over-exaggeration how we would do it, but it's, it's, a, it's bigger than what we would think is what Paul is stating here of his power, his strength, or you could say God's the energy is greater than what we would imagine towards, towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now, all of this, what I just read, has everything to do with God and nothing to do with our power. So as a believer, you're possessing, in a way, in you, the very power of God, but not in your ability at all. And maybe not even for what you think power is or how you perceive power. This is literally God's unbelievable, immeasurable power of who he is and what he can do. And we're going to see it in a second, what the manifestation of that is. But the opposite of this of power, the negative, if you will, in Scripture where we see where, where there's human power that can't quite meet what God's immeasurable power does in our lives spiritually and what has done. And this is what Paul is saying, man, I want God to unveil this uh, understanding of his unbelievable power that surpasses all things because it will build confidence in your presence. The opposite of this would be Romans 18. And this is what it says. That's why those who are still under the control or power of their sinful nature can never please God. Under your own power, you can never please God. You will never have the ability to do it. It's only through what God does in you is what pleases God. And following what he is, he is calling you through. But under your own nature, you don't have this un, immeasurable power to do what God did to save yourself, to do the work he's doing in you and going to do. And it goes on to say um, about our sinful nature. He says, you are controlled by this. You're not controlled. Uh, you're controlled by your, uh, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit. And if you have the spirit of God living in you, right? There's something different here. Your nature cannot do it alone. Your ability cannot do it alone. Your strength cannot do it. You can't white knuckle it enough or be religious enough. You're controlled by the Spirit, and that's this power that's inside of you. So we've got to look at maybe in a second here what Paul says, how it manifests. But it's only through him, and you have to just accept it. And so that builds confidence in the fact that it's outside of your ability, and you have to trust that it's in God's abilities. Okay, so Paul speaks of power and communicates it in four different ways in Scripture. There are four different ways that you'll see power communicated throughout Scripture. And, he, and, and this kind of encapsulates all of them. And, and, and I just kind of wrote them down. There's the presence of a possessed power when it's talking about power. 
Because I think it's kind of weird. If, I, if you walk around and be like, I have the power. People are going to get weirded out by you. And I will be number one weirded out by you. If you say, I have a power. If you think you can wield a power. If, if, if you may not understand this power. This is what God has done in you and is doing through you. But when you talk about power in the Bible, there's a recognized presence of power. Um, it's like, um, it's like uh, Ross, you're a tall guy, right? When I'm, when I'm around you, I can see that you're, <laughs> you, you, you're strong, big guy. I can just right away recognize there's probably some power there, right? I'm making you feel good today. I'm just really going for it. And so I feel like it's in the same way when you see something that there's perceived power there just by recognizing it. Paul's kind of using this language as well. There's a power that's just, just in perceiving what God has done and what he can do, it should be revered. There's also this other power, which is like a, a force to overcome obstacles. So meaning that this power is capable. This, this power is, is something that can overcome obstacles. And this power has action. And in action, it's powerful. Right? And ultimately, potential of the power. We see power in this way. Paul's talking about it's a recognized potential of the power. So when he says these things, that we, I just pray that you have a revelation of this power, that you see it, it just by its noticing and revelation of what it is, wow. But not only that, but you can see it, what it can do in action. And you can ultimately see its potential of what it can do. So when you're facing struggles in life, obstacles in life, you're, you're, you're facing like questions of your salvation and whether it's secure, you can see the power and its potential, and you can see its ability. I like the idea of like maybe even like a bulldozer when you think about, when you read that passage about power, is that a bulldozer, like when you see a bulldozer, right away you know it's got power. It possesses power. It's big. You, it, it, can, it looks like it can do things. But when we look at just this way Paul's referring to it, then, but when it fires up and you hear the noise of the engine and it's revving, you can feel that there's a potential force there. That actually this thing in action could do some real uh, action. You know, it could make obstacles move. And then when you see it move, you can feel its power. And then ultimately when an obstacle's in its way, you can see its potential of what it can do. When Paul says power he means that a full appreciation for what God's ability and power can do. It's present, but it also can be put into action. And its potential is probably more than you realize. And so I don't know exactly how God walks out that in our life. Because if God lives in us, then that lives in us. But ultimately, God's resurrection power lives inside of you. Made you come alive from death to life. And obstacles that are in front of you, that power is there to overcome, to endure, to find joy in suffering and an obstacle, to uh, find a, a perspective that's beyond your ability. It's there. So I don't, I don't know exactly how it plays out in all these ways, but it's quite amazing. Paul is saying these unveiled truths Ultimately, we access the power needed to overcome the world when we have these confidences in these revelations. This last part, and I'll go really fast. 
The last part of the scripture goes right into this. It's a manifestation of this power. And, that, and the whole thing is centering around this. And there's five of them, but don't worry, they're going to go really quick. Verse 20, these are the manifestations of this power at work. That God, that, sorry, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places. I'll have one-liners on these. This, is, this means, and ultimately it says, this is the eternal authority over death's power physically and spiritually. This manifestation is God's work through this power that Christ raised from the dead. And, it, and the manifestation is, is God has dominion and power over death and life. And when he says he's been seated at the right hand in the heavenly, heavenly places, this is just more confidence in God's placed dominion in Christ's hands. Seated at the right hand means that God has entrusted all things to him, and he runs all things. Dominions, powers, authorities, everything. And so it's a trusted place that God has given dominion over death and life, even to that extent, spiritually. So that builds our confidence in the manifestation. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come, meaning this, is that this is this manifestation of these revelations, is this, is that, wow, this power ultimately is no power can contend with this, that every power that comes against it's a losing match. It's a fixed fight. It's already done. So whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're battling, it's already finished. It's work's already done. I don't know if it means that what you wanted will exactly happen, but any authority, dominion, struggle, stronghold, God's finished it. He's done the work. It's already a fixed match. And ultimately, from now until the very last page is read out in Revelation. It's done. He's already finished it. Verse 22, this is the third manifestation of this power. And it says, he put all things under his feet. And that's a manifestation. Everything goes under the feet of Christ, right? In biblical times, when a leader would conquer another leader, they would do this thing where they put their foot on their neck it was a sign of submission. It was a sign that power has shifted. And ultimately, he put all things under his feet is not just the power that he took back and put his enemy under his feet, but all things, all rule, all dominion, all power. It goes back to Genesis 3, and you see the same language here where God says that one day you will bruise this person's heal Christ, but he will crush your head, right? It's this all things under his feet. Everything that was taken in the fall will be taken back. And that's what he's talking about. It literally is a moment. If you think about history, I know it's not politically correct to say BCAD, but it is the BCAD split. There was before Christ on this planet, and then there was after Christ. And that dominion shifted. That changed. Everything changed. And I think that that is what he is trying to communicate here is that no matter how disheartened you may be, even, even today in our world, honestly, politically, 
you may be so disheartened about powers and shifts and none of that isn't under Christ's feet. All dominion, all power, all authority is his. So ultimately what this is saying is what was stolen is recovered. What was shattered is put back together and it's begun and it will finish. Uh, this next part of this verse, it says this, and he gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him. And so this other manifestation of this power is he gave all things, right? Christ head over all things. But what we can't miss is verse 23, which is his body in the fullness of him. And I almost feel like the only way I can say this is like the church is God's body, Christ's body. If Christ is the head and he gave all things, head over all things, which is his body in the fullness of him. It's almost like it's like the church takes on Christ's DNA spiritually, takes on his identity, takes on the fullness of him. We become in sync with Christ and his mission, his plan. And that should build our confidence is that we're in sync with Christ and what he's doing on this, in this world and in our life. We literally are in sync with his spiritual DNA, if you will. And he's the head. So Christ is the head. He supplies all the, he, he's, he, he supplies everything. He empowers us. He employs his body to do his work and, and to reclaim what was lost. This is a great manifestation that we'd be excited about, that that power is manifesting in our lives right now as the body. And ultimately, he's going to reclaim what? God's inheritance, his saints. And we're going to um, really be a part of light over darkness, and that's what we're called to do. This very last verse, and then we'll close with this. This very last thing that he talks about of this manifestation of this power that Paul talks about. And it says this, it's a very simple line. Christ who fills all in all. And that's probably the most powerful part of this final manifestation. Is that the very life supply that God gives Christ, if you, if you see that God gives all things to him, supplies all things, the very life supply, the very thing God is flowing into Christ, Christ is the head, is flowing into the church. And that's why it's so powerful to realize this. Is that this power that God, that Paul is talking about, literally rests within the church to do the work of Christ in a very powerful way. And we cannot shy back and just think that, well, maybe God will do something or I don't know, the church isn't that strong anymore, but the very work of Christ that we so are in awe about in the Gospels is very much at work in the church now. And the very life and power and dominion and authority he gives to Christ as the head of the church, he fills, right, who fills all in all, us as individuals. It's almost like blood to the organs. It supplies its life. And we're a part of that very thing that God is doing and has done in Christ. So if you could just bow your heads maybe for a second, and I want to read a concluding statement to kind of put us in the right frame as we walk out today and just process what maybe God's speaking to us. And maybe, maybe today you can walk out a little higher, uh, head higher, 
with your confidence more secure, knowing that God's power is resting in you and he has a work for you to do. And no matter what is facing you, that he is already conquered it. No matter what struggle you may face, that God has already done it. If you questioned your salvation, I pray that God unveils the, the very security of it to you. If you question your future, that God has secured that. And if you question your presence, if God has the power to get you through life or to thrive or to do his work, that it's there. I pray that all of that confidence builds in you through this prayer that Paul is setting up for these believers back then. But I'll read this concluding thought, maybe just let it sit with you, is Paul's prayer is for the saints, right? For insight of the relational nature that they have with God, the Father. He prays that in our relational connectedness to God, that God will unveil each one of these unshakable confidence of truth, of salvation, our inheritance, and the power of his kingdom. And with these revelations, we will stand firm. This power is now manifest through death's defeat, total authority, power to reconcile and restore, a body, the church in, that's in line with the head of Christ, finishing the work that God set him out to do. And ultimately what God supplies Christ, Christ supplies to the body. We are the extension of Christ. We're a parable of God's glory in claiming his inheritance, his family, and the work that he's doing to restore this world. And I ultimately pray what Paul prays is that may Paul's prayer be a reality to you and be a greater reality to me as well. And as we go into the book of Ephesians, I would love to encourage you to just spend some time in reading through because this intro is the confidence I think we really want to seek out as we go into what Paul is calling the believers to, to be as God's people. And we'll need that confidence. We will as we encounter things and as we encounter change. So let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for just the, as we drill down deep into your scripture, God, that we see more and more and more. And God, I ask that there was a lot of information here, God, um, but God, I ask that, that parts, pieces, or even whole not be lost, God, that they are embedded in our heart, that, that, that really that we see with spiritual eyes what you're saying to each one of us individually. And you open our ears to hear what you're communicating. But God, that not one of us leave, not more secure, not more, more sorry, not, that we all leave more secure, more confident, and more bold to do your work as an extension of Christ, as a parable of you, Jesus, on this earth, that everywhere we go and every person we communicate, that we are continually reclaiming God's inheritance and we are continually reclaiming this world for you, God. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.